Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, Jake, I'm doing great today. How are you doing? I'm doing really wonderful. Excellent. Well, I have a question for you today. And that question is, what was one of the most memorable routines that you have ever seen live? Huh. Interesting question. I have to uh, rack my memory banks a little bit. Well, okay, the first one that comes to my mind was when I was a really new jammer. Sometimes I wonder if things that I remember from being a new jammer had more impact just because I was new, but this particular routine really stood out. It was actually the first time that I had seen Joey Hudoklin, and I had no idea who he was. So it was Joey Hudoklin, Tommy Leitner, and Larry Imperiali doing a a spontaneous co-op routine at Indian Summer in 1996, and they won, of course. And I I had no idea who they were. I mean, I knew Tommy. I didn't know Larry. I didn't know Joey. And um, they were going spawn and they were just doing these amazing passes and, and things that just blew my mind. So I remember at one point, uh, Larry does a crow brush and Tommy's standing in front of him and does a tip back. And Larry does another crow brush and Tommy does a tip back and then it's short. And Larry just like dives forward and catches a leaping diving vacation. A little bit later on in the routine, Joey gets the disc he does an around the world airbrush run, which I'd never seen anything like that before either. Never even contemplated it. You know, I always thought you're running out of the wind. And so he goes in the circle and it's like, whoa, what the heck? And then he rolls it over to Tommy who catches a guidus. And I just remember the energy coming off of that was so electric. They were so fired up and I was so fired up that I, I remembered it to this day. So there you go. Larry does a crash and burn vacation. <laughs> That's funny. That's sort of funny in itself. So it was, it's interesting because... Seeing him do that really stood out in my mind. It also stood out in Matt's mind. And Matt started to practice doing crash and burn vacations because of that. And of course, time goes on. I get to know Larry and we find out that uh, that was the first time and last time he'd ever done that in his life. He just happened to do it in the moment. (laughs) (laughs) So Randy, what is the most memorable routine you've ever witnessed? Yeah, that is a it is a good question because there's so many that could be mentioned, but there's one in particular that kind of comes first to my mind, and that is a routine that I saw on Paganello with Reto Zimmerman and Sune Vensel, and it happened in the famous disco where there is a big party that happens with all the ultimate players. It's this big disco that has got kind of a sunken dance floor, and the round doesn't actually start till like 10 p.m., so it's this crazed party atmosphere already, so it's pretty electric just on its own. And then uh, Sune Vensel and Reto Zimmerman came out and they played to It's a Beautiful Day by U2. And it was just this moment of, of everybody was 
tuned into them. And you know how Reto can do those spins and he was nailing one after the other and the crowd was just getting louder and louder. And Sune's got some really great crowd moves too, where he holds the bad attitude delay and he hops around. But everybody was just like screaming. It was like being at a rock concert. Right now, I'm kind of getting chills just even talking about it. And it was just so amazing sitting there watching this take place. And they got done and people just started screaming and yelling. You could just see the, you know, the emotions on Sune and Reto's faces that, you know, they knew that they had also just created something special and everybody knew something special had just happened. So all the pieces lining up of the audience and the venue and the play and, you know, just the electricity just created that that magic moment. Of course, there's always the epic party that happens there as well. So it just kind of propelled us through the whole evening and early hours, you know, partying like crazy. So it was very cool. I really wish that I had been to one of those Pacanellos. I just never made it. I feel like I missed out on something. Yeah. Uh, so with that, who do we have on the docket for today? Well, today's episode, you know, since you were talking about Larry Imperiali, we're going to continue our conversation with Larry Imperiali today. And he's going to share with us his incredible summer of 1980. So enjoy. And that summer, oh my God, that was the summer of my life, Frisbee-wise. Uh, you know, good players started to ask me to play. Uh, one funny story was I was playing, I was going to play with Richie Smits in Colorado in 80. And uh, he comes up to me after we had started practicing a little bit. He goes, hey, Larry, you know, I really need the money. Um, so I'm going to play with Jamie Chantilly's. I'm sorry. And I'm like, what? Can't do that. Okay, whatever. And then G Rose, I guess she felt sorry for me. She goes, Larry, I'll play with you. That was Corey's uh, uh, mixed partner and girlfriend. One of the best, uh, certainly groundbreaking in the mixed field, no question, Corey and Rose. And she goes, I'll play with you. And we ended up getting third and jo uh, Richie and uh, uh, Jamie got fifth or sixth. So I was like, okay, there you go. They were out of the money. You made, yep. you made the podium and they were out of the money. Yep. And I got 25 bucks and so wow. there you go. So uh, that was, uh, but that summer, oh my gosh, Vancouver, where Randy beat Brian White and me, Randy playing by himself. Um, and I don't know where Michigan happened. Oh my God. I, Bill and Doug, Joey and Donnie and Doug Brandon goes, Larry, let's play. I'm like, really? We're so different. You spin a lot. I roll a lot. You know, we played and we had one co-op where I do three spins, set it to him. He does three spins and catches it. As so I do remember that co-op and we ended up I don't know what happened. Maybe they played terrible, but we beat Joey and Donnie in 1980. And I'm like, oh my God. And that's where we each won 100 discs and uh, so many memories from that summer, traveling with Joey and Richie across the country in the van with Lid and going to Jacksonville to the Gator Bowl, where I played with Rick Castilla, another great player that asked me to play. And so 1980. You're going around to all these tournaments. So that was the NAS series that you were going to. And was there a FPA tour as well? Uh, that was the New World Tour. Uh, Dave Marini had started the FPA, I think, the year before. And so a lot of these world New World Tours. Was that your memory, Randy, from uh, Vancouver? Yeah, I wasn't traveling like you guys were. I mean, I was, you know, like, say, this young kid. So I wasn't off traveling the country. So I went to the NAS stuff, which was Vancouver and... Seattle, and there might have been one Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, Boulder. Those yeah. are the three tournaments, yeah. That so yeah. I was able to qualify playing by myself. So the NAS tournaments and FPA tour events, mm -hmm. FPA New World Tour. 
Yeah, there were the NES events that you had to get points in. So they'd have a tournament like in Sacramento, uh, and they would have two events only. Sometimes they didn't have freestyle. Sometimes it was MTA and golf or whatever it may be. Um, I'd obviously go to the ones that had a freestyle event. And you get points depending on how well you do. And uh, that's how you qualified for the Rose Bowl. And so at the 80 Rose Bowl, Brian and I played. I remember we played to the cars and we didn't make the finals, of course. Uh, but that's a, a special moment for me on those semi fields in uh, Irvine because Bill Wright and I had our first jam. And he was a Colorado. I think they won that year. They, yeah, they did win that year. And I just remember the one moment we're playing by ourselves, just Bill and I off into the side of those beautiful big fields at the University of Irvine, where the semis were, just sort of connecting with them. Another one of those Irv Cal Dan Roddick moments. And the moment I remember most was not many people were doing like rolls to catches. I don't think at that point too much, but there was some of it. But what Bill and I did that I the first time I had ever done it, Bill rolled it up or I rolled it to Bill. And then he did a roll back to me to a catch or vice versa. I don't remember the details, but that moment was like, wow, that felt good. So that's my best memory of that Rose Bowl in that re- regard. And, um, and that was still, you know, that summer of 1980. And then later that year, accepted a job offer in Silicon Valley, but I didn't start until uh, Labor Day. And Labor Day weekend was the uh, the second FPA World Championship. Joey and Richie had won 79 in Rochester. And so those at Auditorium Shores in Austin, Texas, huge crowd like those old U.S. Opens where you would just have, you know, 20 people deep surrounding the entire field. And uh, remember, the year started off in Austin, I believe that year with the Radicals and uh, Velasquez brothers got first, second. Corey, Kevin, and I got third. So that started Austin and that started the year off in Austin and ended the year at Austin at the FPA World Championships. And I played with uh, Jay Buchelman, uh, wow. Elwood Buchelman, he goes by now, I believe, uh, up in uh, uh, the Northwest there. And so, yeah, Jay Buchelman and I played. We played to Planet Claire. Then Michelle Marini cut my hair. I used to have a big blonde fro. Cut my hair right after that tournament, and then I went to work the next day. <laughs> so that was my 1980 year after I graduated, and uh, that was a great summer. So 1980, is that the first Rose Bowl that you went to? Uh, actually, I went to the Rose Bowl and, and sat in the stands in 79 with Alan Young. We drove down and watched it, and that was my first Rose Bowl, but as a spectator, I did not qualify or compete. Yeah. yeah, one thing, yeah, one story it, yeah. about Corey and me is uh, we were playing pairs in Austin. Maybe it was 82. I think the world championships were in 82 in Austin, too. And we're, we're playing in the semis, and Corey and I were pretty high seed at that point. We're playing, and he throws me Zs. And I, we're playing with the 80 molds at that time still, and he throws me Zs. And I guess I must have bashed it right off of the throw or delayed it and bashed it. And we're done. And we, we played really good, I thought. And we walk off. He comes up to me don't you ever fucking bash a disc when I threw you Z's again. We're done. And he walks away. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> what am I going to do here? Okay, well, we'll see. I'll see him later. He'll be melt. Didn't see him the rest of the day on Saturday. Wake up Saturday morning. Don't see him. Go out to the field. Start warming up. Don't see him. We're like the second or third seed. I'm like, holy crap. I'm going to have to, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to play by myself. I can play by myself. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. And then they go, okay, next up, Larry Imperial and Corey Basso. So I walk out in the middle of the field by myself with my 80 mold. All of a sudden, Corey comes out of the out of the uh, 
crowd comes up to me, gives me a handshake. Let's jam, man. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so that's one of my Corey Bassa stories. He was one of the most amazing players. And I was so lucky to uh, be able to play with him and just his style. He, he was a real big fan of Barishnikov and ballet. We went and watched uh, uh, Barishnikov in San Francisco once together. Not that I learned anything from that, obviously, but uh, he was just an amazing power player, just like bash that disc like crazy. And he was a strong counter player and beautiful guidus and rolling guidus, you know, a lot like Murph does. And like I said earlier, you know, just the mixed routines he did with uh, G Rose before mixed was a thing and uh, the flow of their routines. And uh, they won the 1980 Chico tournament pair. I mean, uh, Corey was just an amazing player. So what made him amazing? Was it just that combination of athleticism and grace? Certainly, he was an amazing athlete. And I mean, he, I mean, he's a fiery Italian, right? And that macho power game is what probably influenced me more than anything. You know, my game is so different than Skippy's. You know, and he was my first influence. But, you know, Skippy's doing skids and all these crazy moves. And I'm like, oh, I, I am not. Do, I can't do those. Then Corey was the complement of that power, big guidus game, bashing it like incredibly hard. And But gen, he would generally do very short, compact, consecutive moves. He wouldn't extend the moves like, you know, I had done later in my career. He was just like, bam, bam, boom. Uh, there's not a lot of videos of them out there. The Chico videos I've got of them aren't great. I would love to see the routine with him and Evan when they run Evan David, when they run the Rose Bowl in 80 in 78, I'm not sure I've ever seen it. I'd love to find that video. I mean, it was a different style, the flow that maybe wasn't there. Um, but then I think back to the Velasquez brothers and they had incredible flow in their early routines too. So, uh, but, uh, Corey was a lot more accessible to me and we didn't have as many videos as we have nowadays. So I just love the way Corey played. Yeah. And you guys had a similar affection for the psycho bash. I mean, he, he was like kind of the original psycho basher, right? Where he would just do with that power and you definitely emulated that or adopted it or, you know, however you came up with it for yourself, you guys were too powerful psycho basher and manipulators of the disc that way. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one thing I learned from Corey besides everything I do, uh, bashing wise and things like that is, uh, the way he would just uh, do a, just a quick, hard brush that would go across the playing field, just like a throw to you. You know, there wasn't a lot of that going on either at that time uh, too much, maybe with clock, but not so much counter. So yeah, he was a huge influence on me for sure. Yeah, that's interesting of all the folks that we've talked to. It's amazing how many people have said either Evan David or Corey Basso were huge influences on them. And I think they're two players who maybe have been forgotten by the newer players of today and not realize just how much of an impact those two guys had on the, the 80s scene and everybody who was involved back then. Yeah, no question. And uh, let's find some of those Corey and Evan videos so 1980 is a great year for you, but you're still in school and it kind of comes to a close with you getting a job and all of a sudden a lot of your time's taken up. So what happens in 1981? Are you still able to stay connected and, and is it another great year? What goes on? 
Oh yeah. The beat goes on, still goes on. <laughs> you know, Jim and I would jam, you know, we'd meet at lunch. He worked at a big computer company called Omdahl. I worked at another computer company. We'd meet for lunch, jam, go back to work, jam on weekends. And then we'd go down to Santa Cruz because Brian White lived in Santa Cruz. I think Skippy was there by then. Um, and uh, we, so we had a pretty good jam scene in the Bay Area uh, at that point. I forget, Doug Corns, uh, Jim Terrace, and I met at that point in uh, Sunnyvale. And, but in 81, my big breakthrough was getting a call from a call. I don't remember how it transpired, but uh, Joey and Richie asked me to play with them in Philadelphia, 81. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, it's crazy. And we go there and it's everybody. It's Dwork and Felberbaum and Cray and the Coloradicals and all these great teams. And I'm playing with Joey and Richie. And I've never been East Coast for Frisbee. I flew to New York and uh, uh, couldn't find a place to stay. I couldn't reach Jeff Felberbaum. I'm like, where am I going to stay? And I ended up staying at the Chelsea Hotel where Sid Vicious had just died. (laughs) <laughs> and i'm staying there by myself i tried to get in the ymca there was no rooms okay i'll do the chelsea hotel and and then i jammed with everybody and i got a bunch of pictures from that jam at central park that day i think i may have posted them a while back and then we all drive to philadelphia with jane Inglehart and joey and uh i think chris ryan and it was just an amazing scene and alan elliott i i can't remember everybody and uh, we drive to philadelphia and we play. And, uh, I remember Joey was, I think Joey, you know, he was a much stronger clock player if I remember right originally, but then he got very strong with counter and he was learning to brush counter. And maybe that's why he wanted to play with me. But he goes, Larry, I remember this one time in that routine, I bashed you a counter. It went all the way across the field, right to you. It made me so happy to do that. And I do remember that. And, uh, I forget what we played to, but uh, we ended up winning. I mean, that was my first big win outside of the Michigan tournament, the North American championships. When I played with Doug Brannigan, uh, that was a big tournament. And I remember at the end of the tournament, I go, guys, my flight leaves from Newark. I got to go back to my job Monday morning. I got a flight to Newark and how am I going to get there? And uh, I think it was Dwork and Felberbaum, John Dwork and Jeff Felberbaum said, we can give you a ride there. I get in their station wagon and Dwork's driving. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, and just a great memory of them getting me to the airport on time. And, that was a good memory. So that's interesting. I mean, you're fully working now, so you're you got a job, but you're still deep into frisbee. You haven't like checked out at all. Oh, no. So you're still I never checked out except in. for injuries. Well, actually, uh, getting into my second surgery in '81, uh, I was at a tournament in Eugene, Oregon, which is oh my god. There's a lot of stories from that tournament. Uh, uh, I drove up from uh, Chico. Corey and Rose drove from Noma. Parked in Chico, got on my old BMW 2002 TII, and we drove to Eugene together for the uh, tournament up there. That was the year the Toe Jams contacted me, and they said, Larry, I think we need a, a third to win the Rose Bowl. We want you to be our third. I'm like, whoa, a, an established team that wants to work on routines, and wow, this is cool, and these are really good players and unique. Talk about unique players, right? <laughs> And uh, so we played together in Eugene. That was the first place we played, I believe. And so we had a good routine and uh, uh, we played in Eugene. And I remember driving up Sunday morning on the finals. And I forget, we must have all been staying in the same place. And no one had a car to get there except me. So I will bet nine people jammed themselves into my little BMW. Two of them were Irwin and Jens. And they're in there. And I wonder if they remember this memory. 
and I crank and psycho killer by the talking heads. Dun, 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 dun. And I just remember Jens and Irwin finally prying them out of that sardine can. They get out and they're just bouncing to psycho killer. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And at the tournament, there's a couple more weird memories there. But in the award ceremony, they go, uh, okay, and for the hottest move of the tournament, we're awarding this prize to Larry Imperiali. And I'm like, oh my God. I won the best move of the tournament. I was so happy. And it was a very unique prize. I'll have to tell you about later. But uh, so then we go get some food, Corey and Rose and I, and we start driving south to Chico that night. And this is a weird, scary story, unfortunately, but uh, we're driving along. And all of a sudden, this Greyhound bus in front of us on I-5 going south of uh, Oregon pulls way over to the right. I'm like, oh, that's sort of weird. And we're already in the slow lane. All of a sudden, a car goes right past us in the fast lane, the wrong direction. And I'm like, oh, you, you guys see that? I'm <laughs> just shaking at the wheel. And they're like, see what? What happened? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. And the, everyone's pulling over at the rest stop. And who what, was it? What, a jammer who was in the car going the wrong direction? <laughs> yeah, I think it was a clock player, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that tournament is your first tournament with the toe jammers. And so do you guys play again before you playing in the Rose Bowl? Well, that's where, so I come back from that tournament. Also, I got all these bruises on my arm. It turned out I had some weird blood disease out of nowhere for no reason. Finally, they had to take my spleen out. So I go to the, I'm supposed to play with Alan Young in the Vancouver tournament. And I go into the doctor to look at my arm, the bruising or whatever. And you go, oh yeah, you got, you know, they do a blood test. and like, oh, you got this problem. We got to watch you for a while. And I'm like, Alan, I don't think I can come to the tournament. I don't think I can come to the tournament. So I missed that tournament. And turned out they had to take out my spleen, right? And, you know, back then it was a major surgery in your abdomen. I think the saddest person for that was Bill Wright because we were going to play at World Disc that year. Uh, so we couldn't play there. Not sad because he couldn't play with me, but he was playing with someone else who uh, uh, with a different style, uh, John Kirkland. And uh, so he ended up playing with John Kirkland there. And uh, that was a sad that Bill and I didn't kick off our competitive career at World Disc that year. But uh, so your spleen got in the way of hooking up with Bill Wright initially. Is that what exactly. I'm hearing? Exactly. You are wow. correct. You are okay. correct. They were staying at my house. The Colorado girls were staying at my house in Sunnyvale. I was in Stanford Hospital. They're bringing my dog Jagger to the hospital where I can meet him in the parking lot. And they'd bring sneak me Mexican food and from Honduras um, restaurant we used to go to. And then I come out and the doctor goes, I go, the Rose Bowl's like mid-August. Am I going to be able to play? And I got out of the hospital, I'd say uh, mid-July. I go, toe jams. I'm going to be there. I'll be ready. I promise. You know, and, and I was a little rusty. I didn't really have a great round, but uh, I was able to play in the Rose Bowl. We made the finals. I think we got fourth. Uh, I just wish that hadn't happened and we could have really worked on a routine and uh, uh, had a better shot at it more so uh, by me playing know, a little bit stronger. But, you know, that's amazing that you had your spleen taken out a month before the Rose Bowl, which we all know how competitive that was. And so you were able to hook up with the toe jammers and you make the finals. You make the cut. I think they only took four teams. To, I think it was six at that point, but yeah. Was it six? Okay. Yeah. So you did have some time to create something because that was choreographed pretty much from beginning to end, if I remember right. Yes? Uh, to a large degree. Um, I mean, I remember the opening. I mean, Danny Myers, that dude, he's such a great athlete. And he could toe delay on both toes. And so we started with this Russian mu music. You know that dance you do where you cross your hands in front of you, the Russian dance, and they're kicking their legs out? It was like a Russian music to that beat. 
And he was switching the toe delay from one foot to the other, to the other, to the other, holding that dancing position to the music. And that was off the scale in terms of difficulty as far as I was concerned. That was our opening co-op, which was Danny by himself, I think. And they also had other co-ops too. They had the ski slope, sort of like the gutter, Randy. They were the, they were the first gutter of our sport, I think, where they would get their legs. They called it ski slope and it would go between their legs up to the other guy. And I'd end up catching it. And once I was part of it and special time to be able to play with them. And we did a demo at the Rams game NFL and played a little bit more after that. And, uh, and then it sort of died out after 81. Yeah, they were really a unique team. And uh, again, one of those teams that I think doesn't get the credit that I think they deserve. Just super creative and super technical. I mean, like you say, the doing the Cossack thing and switching your toes back and forth. I mean, delaying on your toes. And that's that's a 10 in difficulty. That's a 15 in difficulty. You know, it's like. That is off the charts, but yeah, they were they were amazing to watch. Yeah, and I don't even know if I mentioned that uh, it was Paul Cameron was the other toe jammer, and he was just like the steady force. Where you know Danny was just uh, going off. That's cool. Yeah, Danny lives part time in Hawaii, so I get to jam with him every so often. It's his toe delay work is just on a different level from anything else that I've ever seen. Like most people who can toe delay, they can hold it flat. He's doing angle changes and rim sets to catches and reverse to toe. I'm like, what the, how do you do any of that stuff? I've never seen anybody think of, think of or attempt that stuff. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah. definitely an art that has been uh, unmatched and untapped since then. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Schiller, you can crank him Z's. He can take her right off the throw. You know, he's pretty darn good. But uh, yeah, that uh, Cossack toe exchange is like nothing I've ever seen. It makes me reflect on how lucky I am to get to jam with Danny Myers on a, a semi-regular basis. He lives here part-time in Hawaii, and so he comes out to the jams, and uh, he's like this hidden treasure that um, the bigger jam community doesn't know about, because he's a really good jammer. I still think that he's the best toe jammer that I've ever seen. I don't know about the rest of the toe jammers, because I've never met them, but Danny, he's just on a whole nother level. But he's also like very funny and interesting guy. He uh, he told me once that he doesn't like to do a sport if it can't kill him. So it's not fun unless there's the possibility of death. So his hobbies are all uh, really extreme. <laughs> I also remember another time at an overall event, actually, uh, we're doing MTAs. I'm watching him. He throws this MTA way up there, and then he just turns around, crosses his arm, and starts having a conversation with somebody. He says a few words, and then he turns back and he chases down the disc, and it's just so funny. Yeah, I, I, I actually know Danny a little bit as well, and like you say, he does these extreme sports, so he does the kite surfing. I know that's one thing that he does, and he also does like off-road unicycle riding. Like He will go on a unicycle into places that you would feel nervous going on like a regular mountain bike, but mm-hmm. he's out there on a unicycle. So yeah, definitely uh, an interesting and unique critter, and we're lucky to have him as part of our tribe. Lucky to have some jammers here, too. So I uh, jam with him. There's another guy uh, here, Dino, who just um, started jamming more regularly. And so uh, we were jamming with him weekly for a while. I think he'll he'll start showing up again once uh, the uh, the quarantines start to lift. And then um, Michael Snap Conger is uh, retired here to Hawaii. He just moved here, I don't know, a year-ish ago. And he started to jam with us, too. And so it's uh, 
been really fun to see the jam community grow and to connect with everybody. And uh, I got to say, the wind jamming here is really great. We've found several parks where the wind comes off the beach perfectly. Well, I like that idea of uh, retiring in Hawaii and creating a jam scene. So how about we plant the seed right now? Everybody go retire to Hawaii and we will have this jam community. Are you on board? I am on board. I will be here for that community. (laughs) Excellent. Well, Jake, on that note, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle 